0: new episode of G5 Football Daily post week three in anticipation of week four. Joe Laudergan here with you as always to talk what we saw in the G5 last week. We saw plenty. Some of it was good. Some of it was bad, but we'll get into both on this episode. I'm joined by someone you've seen very regularly on this show. Uh, He covers the Texas Longhorns for 247 Sports as well as Horns 247. And he's covered the G5 football circuit with me for a number of years Eric Henry it is always just such a bright spot in my day to get to do this because otherwise I'm just sitting alone in my apartment with
1: my cat who's looking very weirdly at my feet what are you doing anyway sorry (laughs) uh listen Joe I understand you know you are in a different world and um, I am just here to provide a little bit of sunshine for your day that uh you know may not be uh readily available.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. The sun the sunshine is not an issue. It's still summer where I'm at unfortunately. I'm ready for that cold fall temperature to come and I can just like wake up in the morning, throw a sweater on, make a hot pot of coffee and not feel like I'm going to need three showers that day. So which is again why I don't particularly miss the part of Florida I used to live in.
1: well yeah you know you were a resident of southwest florida so um yeah the three showers thing is just part of life i'm enjoying you know being here in texas man it seems if i'm gonna get this thing called a season which don't get me wrong i miss the beach and i miss florida in that regard but a season this 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 is this could be a game changer
0: you're about to learn about things that are pumpkin flavored. You never knew could be pumpkin flavored. Oh boy. Listen,
1: you know, I, 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 I I didn't, that's, you know, before we get to the football, the pumpkin flavored Mm -hmm. thing is something that I hadn't experienced since my time in Chicago. And it totally went away from like my memory because in Florida, there's no real reason to have pumpkin flavor stuff, except just, you know, to be a basic white girl. But um, yeah, outside of that, uh, no real reason for that. So to actually have a reason for it, Unique,
0: oh yeah! In the years you've been out of the game, they've been working on pumpkin flavored things, like it's the cure for a very rare disease. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's gone so far beyond coffee and donuts. It's like pumpkin spice, like pasta noodles. I saw at the store the other day. Like, who wants this?
1: That's 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 wild.
0: Success. Yeah, I I don't get it. I never will. But one thing I'll always get is why we love G5 football. And uh, I thought we'd jump into the show with uh, the biggest lessons we took from the Week 3 slate, Eric. And I'll I'll start things off. Mine was, I'm much more closer to buying than selling on this Fresno State team. Uh, Obviously, you don't get into a double OT scenario against an FCS team uh, if you're a perfect team, which is what Fresno State did against Eastern Washington in Week 2. But also, you don't force Eight turnovers against anybody, let alone a P5 team, if you're not exceptional. And that's exactly what Fresno State did uh, against Arizona in Tempe over the weekend. And cornerback uh, Carlton Johnson earned National Defensive Player of the Week honors from the Bronco Nagurski Trophy Society as a result. He's a baller. He's He, he played so well this week. It was his first uh, few interceptions of the season, but he got three in that game. And again, eight turnovers for that defense as a whole. Incredible.
1: Joe, you pretty much hit the nail on the head as far as everything defensively. Um, That is incredible. Almost, quite frankly, incredible that Fresno State only had 29 points considering the amount of times that they had the the football. But I got to give a shout to Mikey Keene. Uh, you know, obviously someone I'm familiar with being a UCF grad, the former UCF quarterback, you know, Gus Malzahn wanted to go a different direction with his quarterback and with John Rice, Palmley? Well, Mikey King's flourishing out in Fresno. And I think that is very sneakily, Joe, one of the biggest pickups of the uh, offseason. I mean, you talk about a kid who was a West Coast guy as was coming from Arizona so for him to get back to the west coast it seem like a natural fit and listen again he's only a sophomore i think he's only a redshirt sophomore if memory serves me correct so talking about someone who or a third year sophomore because of the, the the covid year so talking about someone who's got plenty of football ahead of him and for fresno state to be able to get a guy like that knock on wood if they can hang on to him because we all know the portal giveth and the portal taketh. uh no matter what time of, of a, a college athlete's career it is but if they can hang on to mikey keen for a few years, uh, that would be, that'd be great. Now, with that being said, I guess there's always a possibility, him being an Arizona native, uh, clear the Sun Devils need quarterback help. So, you know, that might be a destination later on down the road. But yeah, that's that's my big takeaway for Fresno State is, uh, I, I know the, the Bulldogs were kind of a middle-of-the-pack Mountain West team, but when they're getting good quarterback play, I mean, look out.
0: You hit the nail on the head when you talk about Arizona State needing a quarterback. They played three different ones in this game, all of them threw at least one pick. It was, uh, it was sad. It was sad. And I follow a lot of Arizona State fans from my time living on the West Coast uh, on X or Twitter or whatever. Things were going to a dark place, <laughs> very much so. So, uh, you know, good for Fresno State. Jeff Tedbird is a much better coach than we give him credit for, as Chris Vanini said in, in one of his columns at The Athletic this week. Uh, my second thing, Eric, Miami beat Cincinnati this past weekend. Uh, Miami, Ohio, of course, in the battle for that uh, Victory Bell Trophy. Um, that has not happened since 2005. Uh, the series is dead even now. I think both teams have won uh, 60 games. There's been seven ties in the history. But Eric, in 2005, Destiny's Child were still together. Uh, the Xbox 360 wasn't out yet. <laughs> Last time Miami won anyway, it was, that was in September. That came out in November. Um, and of course, the number one movie in America at the time was Star Wars Episode Three and it feels like we are young children again, uh, given the frequency at which this actually happens in college football when you look at it.
1: so Joe, I actually looked it up, and you know me. I'm going to have a little fun here. Can you remember the Destiny's Child song that was atop the charts the last time uh, that you uh, referenced in terms of the significance there in 2005?
0: Oh, man. Maybe. Is it Survivor?
1: You know what? It's not a bad guess. It's actually not a bad guess. Survivor was uh, a little bit actually prior to that. That was uh, like the elementary middle school days for us, uh, 2001. Mm -hmm. But um, it was actually catered to you. Uh, A song that uh, was very much played out and got on my nerves, especially concerning the fact that, you know, Beyonce was with Jay-Z, someone who uh, at that point in time with my irrational confidence, I didn't see was better looking than me. Nevertheless, (laughs) uh, um, no, yeah, I mean, for for Ohio to get back to the football uh, side of things. Here's the thing, Uh, Joe, we know what Iowa State's going through right now, you know, the gambling scandal and. They're just down a ton of players. And listen, Rocco Beck is a kid. who I've actually seen a lot of because he's from Tampa. The son of former Tampa Bay Buccaneer, New York Jet, Anthony Beck. Uh, you know, former four-star recruit uh, coming out of the uh, Pasco County area, Wiregrass High School. Played for my old high school coach, Joe Mark Canner. So, uh, shout out to Mark Canner getting the uh, the shout out here on the podcast. But not just really inexperienced. I mean, to have a, a freshman like that get thrust into things. And then Curtis Rourke. I mean, wasn't even like he had his best game, but. You got a veteran who's going to hang on to the football, not turn it over, uh, play steady football. And that defense, you know, really did a, a great job on things as well. So not too shocked that Ohio got the victory. But all in all, I mean, a three and one start for Ohio, especially uh, considering, you know, kind of where they're at. And they could easily be four and with, with the uh, loss of San Diego State. Really good start for Ohio Bobcats.
0: I'm getting more and more excited for that matchup between Ohio and Miami on Halloween weekend in Athens. Now that uh, now that you bring it up uh, and also Halloween weekend in Athens, as, as someone who grew up in Ohio, kind of a crazy party weekend. I'm not saying I'm going to partake because that'd be weird because I'm a 30 year old married man, but <laughs> just witnessing because I plan on going to that game to cover it, seeing whatever these crazy kids are going to get up to makes me uh dream about being a, a younger man again. I'll just say, um, yeah, that sounded more wistful than I meant it to. But regardless, it's it's Tuesday night, Eric. I'm already tired from basically this being the end of my work week, more or less. Um, but to, to end this section, uh, I'll just say I'm now quite intrigued by this Hawaii-New Mexico State game coming up. Um, I think both of these teams missed opportunities to play to their full potential in the first third of the season here. Uh, however, I think they've both shown some big steps in the right direction in the last two weeks. Uh, good to see Jerry Kill's health has uh, taken a turn for the better. I uh, believe he missed a lot of last week uh, with uh, kind of an undisclosed health thing, but seems like he's feeling much better now. Was doing his press availability this week. Plans on being back out there. That's great. Uh, however, I, anyway, I think both these teams uh, balance each other out in a lot of ways in terms of their strengths on offense and defense. I, I legitimately don't know who to pick in this one because i feel like they're just so different from each
1: other yeah it's tough right here's the thing for me this would have been an easy pick quite frankly joe had new mexico state come out and played up to their potential in the early going of the year but now they feel like a team that's still trying to i honestly want to say find themselves but Mm -hmm. we're, we're we're i think we're still figuring out what new mexico state has now good for them that they got the win over uh, New Mexico, you know, former Conference USA uh, signal caller Dylan Hopkins at New Mexico with one of Joe's favorites in Bryant-Vincent, but uh, Mm -hmm. clearly that offense is still, you know, the Bryant-Vincent offense, pushing the ball downfield, but completion percentage might not be as at its greatest, 20 or 39 passing for Dylan Hopkins. But with Diego Pavia, I think the best version of him is what you saw there, 9 of 14 for 203, two touchdowns. But when he's using his legs, I think that is the thing. Diego Pavia, in my mind, is someone who, he's just not going to be, you know, a 250-plus, 300-yard passer per game. But if you can get 250-plus total yards out of him, that's a success. And to see that defense come around as well, um, very encouraging. Also, Star Thomas, uh, a very solid G5 running back get in the end zone. So, yeah, I would feel a little more comfortable as far as that Hawaii-New Mexico State, uh, you know, kind of contest there. If I had a little bit better read on just quite frankly, New Mexico State. Because, I mean, Hawaii, I think when you take a look at them, they're still more of a rebuild in, 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 as far as I'm concerned. And see the fact that that line, Joe, is Hawaii minus two and a half. Super mm-hmm. interesting. So maybe Vegas feels a little bit stronger about that, especially with uh, the Aggies heading out to Hawaii.
0: I think Hawaii has a higher ceiling. That's all i say. I don't think that mean, means too much in a head-to-head scenario. But – you know, I can never fully count out Diego Pavia. I think he's he's been one of these guys over the last couple of years where he's just been such a like such a fascinating like effort guy. He's I really don't think he's the most talented player uh, on <laughs> in most of the games. Like I don't think he's the best athlete, but he's just so I, like he's he's got that ex wrestler mentality, right? Like especially when you watch him run, like he's not going to go down on the first hit. And that's not exactly super common in the modern quarterback. But anyway, um, we talked about some of the good from this past weekend. I think we want to jump into some of the bad, too, Eric. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that we, you know, agreed was going to be touched on was the uh, thoughts that uh, Charlotte head coach uh, Biff Poggy, Poggy, but I will say, interesting game from them. Uh, Charlotte, they lose to Georgia state at home 41 to 25. Good for Georgia state. They're three and zero to start the season. Uh, Sean Elliott has them in a better place than he's had. Doesn't seem like he's going to let them get complacent. That's good. But uh, yeah, Charlotte, not one of their better outings of even this year, they're one and two to start the season. Uh, and again, they lose at home uh, to drop things. And uh, Biff Poggy, uh, having some things to say about both his players and his coaches, which is an interesting strategy for a first-year
1: head coach. Oh, boy. Where where, where do we start with with Biff? I've heard it as uh, so I'll go with Poggy. Um This falls on me. I'm telling you right now, I'm on a warpath. I just met with our coaches, and we're going to get it done the way I want to get it done, or either I'm not going to be here or they're not going to be here i'm not doing this for the rest of the season that's a direct quote uh joe have you seen biff Pogi's notes from today's presser uh i no i haven't okay so let me see if i can pull up on the fly here because i read that quote for a purpose biff Poji has now said that he was not in fact talking about replacing assistants uh so let me get yeah here we go uh from our guy Hunter Bailey, Biff Poggi on staff responsibilities and his team. I didn't mean that there would be a change in responsibilities on the staff. I have complete confidence in the staff. What I was talking about is that I want to make sure that we don't outcoach ourselves. I want to make sure that our players are free to play fast, loose, thoroughly, know what they're doing. We'll have a more limited menu this week, and that's what I was talking about. We are intentionally limiting the menu to give the chance to play fast. I do want to say this. I love this team. I love these kids. I believe in these kids. I don't think there's anyone in this building who doesn't believe in this. We're getting pounded from the outside. I'm getting pounded, and I should be. We're kind of circling the wagons. We believe in ourselves. I believe in our young coaches and our players. We have the chance to be a really good football team, and we're going to keep working. Yeah. Uh, Deion Sanders in his priming backpedal that fast. You know, Daryl <laughs> Revis, uh, Patrick <laughs> Peterson, uh, you know, some of the greats. Um, sauce Biff Poji, my my sauce might want to you know learn from him about backpedaling because I Joe, you heard the first quote I read, correct?
0: <laughs> yes, I did.
1: What did that sound like to you?
0: That sounded like a man who was ready to throw somebody under the bus.
1: Okay, so uh, let's uh, go back to my next uh, favorite quote here from old Biff. If I have to go upstairs and call the plays, referring to the offense, uh, I will. Joe, how many head coaches you know are going upstairs and calling plays? Outside I of Hugh mean, Free from the hospital bed?
0: <laughs> Touche. Not very many.
1: Okay. All right. All right. Just just wanted to just want to cover that. Um Biff, again, talking about, you know, and this one I don't have the direct quote, but he, the, the paraphrase was um he was frustrated with uh how essentially how long the play calls are saying that, you know, we've got these 13, 14 word plays. And he looks at programs like army where they execute plays and it's just, you know, a few words. Right. Uh, and talking about, you know, the, that the issue is, you know, uh, we got to have, uh, you know, that, and again, this isn't, this part is not a direct quote uh, talking about that. You know, everyone wants to be the next 32 year old head coach of the Rams and, and not worrying about their responsibilities. Okay. All right. Well, you know, now that Biff has backpedaled uh, here's the thing, man. I'm not trying to sound like I'm just being irrational, uh, d- rationally like hard on this guy, but he opens his mouth and says stuff. And then what are we just supposed to like ignore it? No, that's not how that works. There's no head coach in America who is not going to be down the sideline managing th- the game, <laughs> Joe, because that's where head coaches are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they manage the game like the uh the officials and the, yeah so no biff you actually weren't going upstairs and doing that despite your bluster the thing that like biff is the head coach of this team if you have an offense that you feel is too tedious isn't that something that you'd be involved in like dialing that down in general a joe and b Clearly, he should have done that behind closed doors if that's what he feels. But I mean, is he, is was the first time you he heard the offensive verbiage yesterday or Saturday? That's just what's bewildering to me. So, um, here's the thing, man Charlotte, they play at UF. At, sorry, I'm speaking like a Floridian. They play, they play uh, at the University of Florida this Saturday. It ain't going to get any easier for them. Okay. So, I, I, I am curious to see what his approach will be. But the biggest thing why I just, I had my feelings about the hire to begin with and, or not really to begin with, but once I started hearing some of the quotes are Joe, your head coach has got to be your leader. Your head coach has got to be your guy who not only believes in you, but sets the tone privately and publicly. You can't just fly off the handle each week and send these types of, of messages. Like, cause, your players are going to follow in in suit. Joe, we saw Colorado, Colorado State, right? That game got very chippy. Why? Because the two men in charge built that up to where their players followed suit. I'm looking at the rest of Charlotte's schedule. UF, they're at UF. They're at SMU. It's going to be tough. Navy, we talked about, is improving. East Carolina, that's one that you could say is a toss-up. FAU, we'll have to see where their program is. They they lost their quarterback in Casey Thompson. So we'll have to see about that. Uh, Tulsa, maybe another toss-up. Memphis, that's probably going to be a loss in my mind. Rice and yeah. South Florida are, are toss-ups. But it, Joe Biff said that, hey, you know, if I don't get it done year one, then you know I, I may not be, be like, come on, man, like did you. For, Charlotte could rip off nine straight wins. They may. It's a possibility. I, I'm not saying they can't do it, but what's frustrating is. If you happen to go four and eight, you've now put yourself in a position based on your quotes where people are going to be questioning you again. So, you know, hey, listen, Biff is his own man. He don't need the job. If you know anything about his background financially, he ain't hurting for this job. But uh, listen, while I would would never, you know, say that a head coach can't be verbose with the media or be expressive. This is far from just being expressive.
0: I honestly completely agree with pretty much every point you made. If I think there's one worse thing than emotionally unstable old men being head coaches, it is emotionally unstable old men being head coaches who have no self awareness. <laughs> and uh, I think that's exactly what we're dealing with here. So that's that's kind of my thoughts on on Biff Pogi. I think if you are entering a scenario that he was where he was facing an uphill battle in terms of his schedule, in terms of his talent, in terms of his resources, I wouldn't have maybe alienated so many people who could have been allies along the way.
1: Real quick before we transition, I, I just think there's, there's a discussion to be had. We've talked about Biff's comments, but I do want to ask you this. When we sometimes see coaches that we consider retreads end up getting jobs, Joe, uh-huh. and end up ending up getting jobs. I think this is a reason why again, Mm-hmm. Like there's nine weeks left in the season and Biff could get this thing turned around. But when you hire a, a veteran college football coach, and I'm not saying there's a fine line I'm walking, right? Cause I want new blood and, and, and that manifests itself in a lot of ways where that's minority hires or just people who typically wouldn't be given a chance, right? I am mm-hmm. all for that. But Biff Pogey is proving the argument as to why you make the safe hire sometimes. Is that fair?
0: Are you saying this hedge fund manager has had chances before? But you know what I'm trying to say.
1: <laughs> uh, I I don't only because I, I this is his first head coaching job.
0: Yeah, and he's how old? In his late 60s.
1: Why do you think that is? <laughs> right. Yeah that that point that point. So okay, I, I can I, I can pick. We're it on up. the same page. Yeah, Joe. I mean, there's a reason why. I mean, you take a look at Biff Poggi, and again. The guy was a longtime high school head coach, so that obviously played a factor. But he's getting his first head coaching job at, uh, I believe, 64 years old, which, again, listen, I'm not out to age shame anybody, right? I mean, Mac Brown is doing a phenomenal job right now in North Carolina. So it goes to show the age doesn't necessarily necessarily mean anything. But I think it's fair to say, I mean, was anyone else uh, beating down the door for Biff Pochi as their head coach? Not necessarily.
0: No. I mean, I'll just I'll quickly tag on to tag on to that um, with the Jay Norvell situation. I touched on it a little bit in a column this week: three worst things we saw in the G five. But uh, I think student athletes deserve better than uh, some of the stuff that we saw from uh, Jay Norvell in particular this week. I think it's hard to celebrate some of the good things that Colorado State football is doing in terms of advancing their program, in terms of the incredible student athletes they have on that team when you act the way Jay Norvell has. And frankly, I, I think you don't get to, it's crazy. It's crazy to think it's a good idea to act that way as a head coach when you just, A, don't even have a good record. And B, you have the audacity to say like, well, how did they, why do they penalize us so much in that game? Dude, you've had one of the most penalized teams in the G5 for like six years in a row. Like what it, it's yeah. Again, I, I can almost deal with mental and emotional instability. I can't deal with lack of self-awareness. So that's, that's the crazy thing to me.
1: So Joe, just to be clear, so our listeners know what you're talking about, you're referring to Jay Norvell's post-game comments.
0: I'm talking to the, how he acted this entire week. Okay. <laughs> like the Last like 10 days. You know, he said he tweeted something about, you know, Reese Davis was like, Oh, sure, I get he was trying to motivate his team. You know, know, like, I don't think Reese Davis is here to have the hot takes. You know what I mean? But it's like, Yeah, I was trying to motivate my team. So you admit you were doing it for attention. (laughs) You know what I mean?
1: mean, Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, I'll say this. And again, you know, we won't go too long because obviously, you know, we got other things I'll touch on. But I didn't have an issue with Jay Norvell, necessarily an issue with his initial comments. Well, I don't buy that he was doing just to motivate his team. And I did see the Reese Davis uh, comment where for listeners who made any context, Reese Davis said that, you know, for a coach to say that you're only doing one thing you're either talking to your team, uh, talking to the media, or you're talking to your, to your fan base. Right. Um, mm-hmm. he, he, saying that he wasn't necessarily doing it in, in, in terms of being directed at Deion Sanders, not necessarily by that. I think Jay Norvell may have gotten caught up in the moment there. Right. And, and maybe let, maybe there's 60% of them that truly feels that way. Another 40% was like in a safe environment um, post game. Yeah. I mean, I feel like could have done a little bit better in terms of the penal, penalization thing, but all in all, I, I thought, I mean, quite frankly, I, I listen, I wasn't necessarily huge on like the Dion Sanders thing either, but I almost, I have less of a problem with Dion cause he was reacting to what was said about him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the biggest thing I think is, Listen, man, Joe, I I don't want to get too off track, but Shador Shador Sanders is a hell of a player, right? And it's his his dad. Am I to expect him not to be defensive of his dad? No. I'm just trying to view Shador Sanders in the realm of any college athlete. I'm never going to like another QB like, you know, going up to, you know, opposing coaches and and get in their face. Like to me, that stuff, it's no win situation. But mm-hmm. I, again, I give the hesitation because what can I say? Like it's his dad, you know, I mean, there's obviously mitigating factors there. Yeah. I mean, that's fair.
0: I like, I don't know. I don't, I didn't really tell other than I think the, like eye poke, obviously that wasn't okay. I don't really have an issue with anything. Schrader did, uh, over the past week or so. I don't think it was great. I mean, I think he can learn from it, but again, he's a child. Jane Orvell and Deion Sanders are not children. Sure. And in this scenario, I think Jane Orvell acted like the the child at the center of this scenario. Sure. Would absolutely agree there. Fair enough. And you might say, like, oh, he's over eight. You know, Shadur's over 18. He's not a child. He's a child. These are children. We're watching children play a game.
1: No, I'm not complaining no.
0: about it, but
1: that's what's going tr- on. Listen, <laughs> I know there's some people who may listen to this and not like the, the phrase child, right? That age, 18 to 22, can be subjective upon who they are. But trust me, as someone who deals with a lot of <laughs> these guys, I'm not going to name the player because, you know, they didn't ask be brought into this, but I'll just say this. There was a certain receiver who wanted to wear sunglasses while doing his press conference uh, mm-hmm. over the weekend because he saw a certain head coach canned out with sunglasses to an entire team. And they had to tell said player, like, take off the sunglasses." Like, those are the things, those are not the things that like fully formed adults do. So trust me, in many ways, these are children. I don't mean that in children as in a derogatory way. I mean, children as in, you know, their brains aren't fully developed. So they're, they're not adults. They're not Jay Norvell and Deion Sanders.
0: Correct. Absolutely agree. Eric, I think to start to close this show out though, I think we've earned the opportunity to act like children a little bit. And for that reason, I've created a small game show that I'm forcing you to participate in. Okay. (laughs) This week we have Av State traveling to Wyoming to uh, face each other in War Memorial Field. Should be a really good game. Two really physical football teams. I love what I've seen out of Nate Noel. Um, I've loved uh, what I've seen out of that Wyoming defense in particular. Um, just some, just some guys who really like to hit particularly in that front seven. Um, but you know, real quick, Eric, you actually watched Wyoming this weekend play Texas. What did you think of what you saw out of the Cowboys in that game?
1: Excellent defensive performance for those who may not have seen that game. Wyoming ran kind of a a unique defense, Joe. Um, I don't know how many people may be familiar with it. Uh, it's the best way I can describe it for those who aren't like football nuances. It's uh, uh, another version of the three, four, it's kind of called the three, eight or the eight, three, depending on, you know, who who you ask, but it's a, basically Joe, it's every team in America has a version of a three man rush drop eight. Right. But what the three, what the three, eight uh, cloud is, is it's your typical three, four, but essentially the four secondary players are lined up. They kind of crowd the box, right? So it's not quite a three, four as much as like, you're almost looking at a three, eight, and some of the pieces, especially with your your secondary pieces and your and your nickel slot corner are kind of interchangeable. And that confused Texas, confused Quinn Ewers, who didn't have the greatest game. So that was a takeaway. Uh Northern Illinois transfer Harrison Whaley got his first touch uh for Wyoming, and his second carry was a 66-yard touchdown run. So definitely looked uh to see a lot of him going forward. And um the health status of Andrew Peasley, you know, the starting quarterback who Engineered the upset of Texas Tech, he did not play. He took part in warm-ups, so I'd assume he's not too banged up. But Evan Sabota, who, listen, if you watch him play, he wears number 17, and you see a 6'5", 245-pound guy scream around there making plays, reminds you of another number 17 who wore that number at Wyoming. So uh, interesting mm-hmm. as far as the Cowboys are concerned.
0: On that note, this game, Eric, is called Mountain Man This or That. The rules are simple. I'm going to give you the names of some somewhat famous mountain men and mountain characters from throughout American history. I'll also give you some vague descriptors of interesting things they did in their life. You then have to guess whether these folks are from the Appalachian Mountains or the Rocky Mountains, or at least famous for what they did in those areas. For every one that you get right, and again, you have a 50-50 chance here, for everyone that you get right, I will put $5 on a gift card to the coffee chain of your choice. How's that sound?
1: Oh boy, this is going to be fun. <laughs> okay. I wanted
0: there to be steaks.
1: <laughs> uh, I, am, I am as prepared as I'm going to be, Joe. So let's have at it. I am quickly Googling okay. the Appalachian Mountains. To remember where that is. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Obviously, don't cheat. Just what it's, it's. No, no, I, I, I will okay. not cheat. Okay. All right. First one. This this cat's name was Felix Bushulu Brazil, commonly known as Uncle Bush. Uh, his best friend was a donkey who he trained to do tricks like a dog. Uh, and famously, he held his own. He, uh, he famously held his own funeral while he was still alive because he wanted to hear what his neighbors had to say about him. And the final thing, he spent about a year in a county jail awaiting trial for murder, but he was proven innocent. So Eric is Uncle Bush from the Appalachian Mountains. A- Appalachian
1: Mountains, because listen, anyone who, uh, you know, had something with his dog and was on a and wanted to hear his neighbors say his name, that sounds like some North Carolina-esque ranger, that, that <laughs> area of the country stuff.
0: You're close. East, uh, East Tennessee, Roanoke County, to be exact. Boom. All right, there's your, first, there's your first latte, buddy. All right, here's the second one. Uh, This man, Otto Wood, he learned to gamble and shoot whiskey at nine years old. Before he was 18 years old, he had escaped from jail at least twice. And the third time, at the age of 23, he escaped by whittling a fake gun out of soap and holding up a guard in the prison. And when it was all said and done, and by which I mean he uh, had died, he had escaped from jail at least 11 times Maybe more, depending on which county's historical records you believe to be true.
1: Joe, I, I, having known you now for many years, I don't know that you'd go Appalachian back-to-back, but everything about that description says Appalachian, so I'm going with it.
0: You are right. It is Appalachia. This is Otto Wood, was uh, famous in West Virginia, Virginia, and Tennessee. It was and, the moonshine.
1: Uh, I, that, that's, that's why I had to go in that region.
0: I, I said whiskey, I thought, but there there was moonshine involved at many points in this guy's life. And oh. uh, he was the child protege of one Hatfield clan of the Hatfield and McCoy family feud famous in the Appalachian Mountains. All right. And there's 10 we're, bucks for you.
1: We're weirdly two for two. And if, if anyone who knows me should not be surprised that uh, I probably am not going to use this on a latte, but I will use it. Uh, On uh, some egg souvet. That's not how you say that word, but uh, (laughs) just embarrassed a lot of myself on this podcast. That's how they pronounce it in Appalachia. (laughs) That's how they pronounce it in Appalachia from. uh, (laughs) Get some protein.
0: (laughs) Listen, before the Florida man Twitter account was a thing, we had the mountain men of the 1800s in the Appalachian and Rocky Mountains. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) All right, here's the third one Uh, Harry Yount. Enlisted in the Union Army twice in the Civil War, he is recognized by some as the first park ranger ever hired by the National Park Service, and he spent the last 40 years of his life mining copper, graphite, and marble.
1: Again, I am i don't want to think he'd go Appalachian three straight times. I am going... There was something in there that you said, see, now the only thing that stuck on my mind is the mining, but it wasn't like coal mining. So I think that could be Rocky mountains.
0: You are right. It is the Rocky mountains, Harry yount. And of course he dropped dead at the age of, I believe 88, uh, no 92 in, in the middle of the, of then downtown Laramie, Wyoming, like right outside the church. And they just pulled him into the church cemetery and buried him. (laughs)
1: That is, <laughs> where'd you come up with this, show?
0: Where did I come up with this concept or where did I find these both animals of whimsy? Both. Well, I came up with the idea as soon as I saw this Ross, this, this matchup was on the calendar. And I was like, I know exactly what I want to do. Uh, and then the, as far as the stories, I started playing Red Dead Redemption 2 uh, <laughs> as Ricky Ronnie would want me to. And I worked my way back forwards from there.
1: This is why Joe Londergan is one of the most interesting men in the entire world, sir. All
0: right. Here's the fourth one. Uh, Thomas Fitzpatrick. He famously became an adopted father to an orphan Native American boy, uh, but then later reunited him with his mother, who turns out was still alive about two years later, Uh, became sort of a politician in his later life, writing a number of peace treaties on behalf of the U.S., and he's commonly referred to in uh, history books and whatnot as broken hand because he shot his hand off because he it wasn't great with guns.
1: The only reason I'm saying Rocky Mountains is because we've got a Native American connection that's closer to there than it is the Appalachian.
0: Fair enough. Thomas Fitzpatrick uh, was a native of Ireland who moved here when he was about 17. Uh, and yeah, he was active in present day Wyoming and South Dakota. Look at you. I think that's—I uh, think you're four for four now, right? There I think go. I am, yeah. yeah. All right, we'll close it up. All right, so we have one more. Uh, Moses Harris, said to have helped build one of the most famous forts in U.S. military history. Uh, in 1839, he was fired from the trapping outfit he worked with, got angry, drank too much, and shot the guy they hired to replace him. And then in 1845 and 1846, he made up for that. Uh, gaining further fame by saving a number of travel parties
1: lost in the wilderness drank too much and shot someone. This is easily Appalachian.
0: Oh, so close to a perfect round. It's the Rocky mountains. Oh. The fur trapping should have been your clue. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Good point. Okay, I'll enough. take a four for five considering I was thinking I was going to go 5 five. I'll take a four for five.
0: <laughs> Look at you. You won 20 bucks to the coffee chain of your choice uh don't say it on air cuz they haven't paid us yet
1: <laughs> <laughs> I will not say it on air
0: Well, I appreciate you going along with my with my stupidity. I thought that would be a fun way to to tie into something that we're looking forward to about the college football weekend.
1: Most definitely, Joe. Not only that, you have 20 bucks. That's like it's the coffee chain of my choice. That's basically a breakfast in the airport as I'm flying home from a road game. So, thank you, kind sir.
0: There, there's your egg sovi. There you go. All right, thank you all so much for listening. I am at j o e h i o underscore on social media. Eric is at eric c henry underscore on Twitter. Highly recommend you go check his stuff out, covering the Texas Longhorns for two four seven sports and horns two four seven and uh, G five football daily on social media for clips from the show, other stuff we're working on. Uh, And if you just Google G5 football daily, you will find all of our work on the Fan Nation Network covering college football in the group of five every single day. Happy football watching, everybody. We will talk to you a little bit later this week. See you then.